Dividing the Word of Truth program and podcast. I'm Missionary Evangelist Lawrence Register, and I have another message this afternoon for you that I believe is current for the times that we live in. Now for the next few short years, life is going to change very drastically for America, the world, for the church. It's going to change very drastically. As we continue with our message on why I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, I cannot overemphasize how important it is for Christians to be grounded in the Word of God. You need to get in the Word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to open the Word to you, find folks to pray together with, forming a prayer group. You don't listen to what a man has to say without noting how he lives. You see, there's plenty of religious talk out there today. And that's just what religion is, it's talk. But religion and religious people cannot walk the walk. Then there will be the snake oil salesmen that will say to you, you need to stock up on food and, and you need to stock up on household supplies and medicine. You need to buy silver and gold. You need to get out of debt. And the list goes on and on. But it will be our dependence on God and His Word that will keep us in this dark hour. And the Christian is going to need what I'm giving you today, but you're going to need it not only in your ears, but you're going to need this down in the depth of your heart today if you're going to be able to stand in these troubling times that's coming just before the Lord comes back for His church. Now, I want us to look at part two this afternoon on why I believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God. Remember in lesson one, we closed out with the thought that there must be reason and logic along with the exercise of a sound mind if we're to have a reasonable discussion about anything and especially about the Word of God. You cannot have that with a fool. Isaiah 118 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. A stupid person cannot reason. We have already discussed the fact that the Word of God is spiritually discerned and its truths can only be received and understood by revelation from the Holy Spirit. So in these next few messages, I want to drive home to you the importance of God's Word, the importance of understanding God's Word. And I want to submit to you a few lines that I'm going to begin with this afternoon that I believe will demonstrate the argument for the divine inspiration of the Word of God, the Bible. This study will by no means be exhaustive. We are only touching the tip of the iceberg of this great book, the Bible, this book which is the revelation of the God of heaven, whom Jesus called his Father, the God Jehovah of Israel and the God of the church. Now this Bible is to his people. It is not to the world. As a matter of fact, the things of God are hid to this world. 
Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five. at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them unto babes. But woe be unto that man or woman that fails to grasp and understand this revelation of the word of God and to obey it. The Lord himself gave a warning about this kind of individual in Matthew 7, 24 through 26. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. But everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. Jesus also gives us a grave warning about not comprehending truth in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 44. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belonged unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall not for the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou hast not known the time of your visitation. And that thing came to pass on the people of Israel in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, marched in and fulfilled Micah's prophecy that Jerusalem and the city and the temple would be plowed like a like a yoke of oxen would plow a field and they would level it. And that's what Jesus is warning them that this is going to happen. You see, Jesus in this text has personified the city Jerusalem. He's addressing Jerusalem here in verse of Scripture. He's not just specifically addressing man or an individual or you and I, but he's personified Jerusalem and he's saying to them and those children that are in the, in the city of Jerusalem were the people there. He is saying to them what's going to come on you and that there's not going to be one stone left on another in Jerusalem. And all of this is because of one thing, is because they did not perceive, they did not comprehend the truth that when the truth was in them, in a living, walking being, Jesus Christ, they did not comprehend that truth. And I'm afraid that the majority of the world today cannot comprehend this truth because God said, I will hide it from their eyes, but I will reveal it unto babes. The scriptures tells us that God did this. The scripture shows us how that this took place because they rejected the truth, rejected to understand God's word. That's why I want to amplify the thought today. If you're going to make it in these last days, you're going to have to get in the word of God and it's going to have to be your rule of faith by which you're to live. Now I want us to look today at number one, why I believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. 
And that is simply because the Bible itself says it is the inspired word of God. Now, I could put my Bible down, close it, set it down, and walk away because to the true child of God, this point would be all that would be necessary to believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God because there is no greater authority than the word itself. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 3 verse 4, let God be true but every man a liar. In other words, he says God is the only one that's telling the truth and all the rest of us are liars. Psalms 58 and 3 says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born speaking lies. What is he saying here? That man from the time that he was born was a liar. Children are born liars. The Bible said as soon as he's born, he goes astray as soon as he's born speaking lies. You don't have to teach a child to lie. He already knows how to do that. You have to work real hard to teach him the truth. But this is the reason that we find lying so easy is because we're the children of lies. And we've been lying ever since we come out of the womb, ever since we were born. We are born liars. God's the only one, Paul said, the truth and every other man is a liar. When I think about this in kids, I remember a long time ago, I pastored a church in Winfield, Alabama. And while we were there, it was that particular year, they were, they were, uh, the, the youth were selling candy bars to raise money for some kind of project. I don't know what it is. And so the, the youth in the church there that I pastored, they had already done that. And they had a couple of cases of these giant candy bars left over. And we had stored them in, in a back room there in the church. And one day I was looking out because the parsonage was right there beside the church. And I was looking out the parsonage window and I saw Aaron and Connie, the, my two littlest ones at that time. And they were just, they were just babies. They were just little things. And I saw the door open on the side of the church as I looked out the window and I saw them coming down the steps out of the side of that country church, walking across the church parking lot toward the house. I walked out into the garage area of the carport area and all down in the yard to meet them as they come. And when they come across that parking lot, the closer they got, I saw that they had chocolate candy all over their faces. They had been over there in that Sunday school room and got into that candy and they was having a good time. But the point I want to make is this, that when they got close to me, they had candy all over their hands, all over their face. I said to them, have you kids been over there in that candy? They looked straight at me and said no, and went right on past me in, into the house with chocolate candy all over them. The Bible said just as soon as man has come out of the wound, he's born speaking lies. The first thing he does is lie. And the Bible said, let God be truth and ever man a liar. Therefore, God's authority, his word is, is the final and greatest authority that you, there, there is that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now we need to understand from the start of these messages that the Bible is always open for investigation. In fact, the Bible tells us to open its pages and read its words. It tells us to search the scriptures and to study them. Paul said the Berean Jews were more noble than all the rest. 
said because they received the word with all readiness of mind. That means they heard the preaching that Paul had to preach and they opened their minds and they received it with all ready mind. But Paul said these Jews were smarter than the rest of them. They searched the scriptures, Acts 17 and 11. They did not just take someone's word for it. They listened to the message and they went and searched the text for themselves to see if this thing was so. Another point is the Bible nowhere commands its adherents to prove or to argue its position, that it is the divine inspired and inerrant word of God. It does not say to you and I that we're going to have to go out of this world and prove to them that this word of God is the divine inspired inerrant word of God in its most perfect form. It is divine, is inspired, and is inerrant, and the Bible proclaims that itself. Now, I am not debating these points today. I am stating these points. Brother Clendenin would say it like this. I did not come to talk with you. I come to talk to you, end of quote. God has not called me to, to uh, debate or to argue the Bible. He's called me to preach it. The Bible puts it simply like this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who is that God? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. In other words, the Bible doesn't say to prove it or anything. It just simply says, if you come to God, you're going to believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, that God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. First of all, Paul said, think soberly. God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. He says, think about this. Just give this consideration. God has dealt faith enough to every individual to be born again. But because of self and unbelief, most will not believe and be born again. Here the Bible speaks for itself when it says, thus saith the Lord. Jesus said, that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said many times over and over, the disciples said it over and over, for it is written. The Bible plainly tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3 and 1. Prophecy came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, 2 Peter 1 21. You see, it is not man-made. If man had written the Bible, it would read a whole lot different than it does. If man had written it, it would have been just pie in the sky, fun and a good time. Everybody would go to heaven. There'd be no sin. There'd be no hell. There'd be no judgment. There'd be no devil. Man would just simply write in there, if he wrote the Bible, all the good things. Is that not how most view the Bible anyway today? It doesn't matter how you how you live. When you die, they're going to preach you into heaven. They're going to talk you into heaven anyway. That's the way man sees. But the Bible was written by God and him alone. And therefore, it is full of hell. It is full of judgment. It is full of devils. It is full of sin. And it tells you and I, if we reject and neglect God's word, there's going to be nothing for us but eternal damnation. Let us go now. The Bible is its own best commentary. It has a built-in dictionary and it testifies of and to its own validity. Isaiah 28 and verse 10 says, For precept, 
Precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. The Bible has no king with an army to defend it, nor does it have a nation solely dedicated to its preservation. But the Bible does have a God, a God that guided men from generation to generation to guard it and to preserve it. He called Israel to write it, and he called the church to preach it. Yet all the world seeks to do away with the Bible. The world hates the word of God. That Bible, uh, the, the, the world despises the truth of God's word. And that to me alone verifies the Bible is the inspired word of God. If any other piece of classical literature, past or present, was subjected to what the Bible has been subjected to at the hands of men and devils alike, they would have vanished off of the earth long ago. As I said before, the Bible does not fear investigation. It challenges anyone to examine its contents. Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. John 5, 39. First, and if the Bible is not inspired in the strictest sense of the word, then it is worthless. For it claims to be the word of God. If it is not perfect and inspired by God and it claims to be the word of God then it is worth it and if its claims are and its claims are spurious and its statements are unreliable and its contents untrustworthy and if the bible is not the inspired word of God then so is its god untrustworthy and unreliable Second, if on the other hand it can be shown to the satisfaction of a partial inquiry that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, we now have a starting point to advance to the earnest conquest of real truth. If the Bible is the inspired Word of God and we're able to present that truth to anyone that might hear it, if after that the hearer neglects it, he does so with the greatest peril, peril to his own soul. And that person might as well try to get to heaven by calling a Uber driver. He'll have just about as much chance to get to heaven with that as he will by neglecting the truth of God's word. But when you know the truth, then you're without excuse. For the Bible plainly states to us that to much is given to him, much is required. Luke 12, 48. Now number two this afternoon on why I believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God is because of the perfect and wonderful unity of the Bible. That attests to its divine authorship. The Bible is perfect and in perfect and wonderful unity. Therefore, it because it has a divine author, a very full and unified divine author. Now, on the other hand, the very manner in which the Bible was produced argues against unity. Now, what do I mean by that statement? As we look at how the Bible was produced, if you were to apply the same manner to any other work of literature, it would in fact produce division and not unity at all. But God's Word is in complete unity and in complete perfection. Now, let us consider the diversity of the Bible and those that penned it. The Bible was written on two continents, in three languages, and his composition extends slowly over the progress of 16 centuries. That's 1,600 years. Let's notice something else. Its various parts were written at different times and in most varying circumstances. 
It was written in tents, deserts, cities, palaces, dungeons. It was written in times of sadness, in times of joy, in times of great peril to the writers and the people of God. Among its writers were judges, kings, priests, prophets, patriarchs, prime ministers, herdsmen, scribes, soldiers, physicians, and fishermen. Now yet despite all of this, the Bible is one book made up of 66 books with 40 writers writing large volumes of themes that cover the whole range of human life, yet it is one book. There is no other piece of literature nor book or all the books in the world that can begin to claim it least a little of what the Bible demands that we accept of it. it. The writers wrote large volumes of themes that cover the whole range of human life, yet it is still one book. And through, though it has 40 scribes, it only has one author, and that is God. It is organic in unity. It contains one system of doctrine, one code of ethics, one plan of salvation, one rule of faith, and it declares that God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33, but a God of perfect unity. You see, the perfect and wonderful unity of the Bible attests to its divine authorship that it is the divine, inerrant, inspired Word of God. Now let me illustrate those points a little more for you. If we took 40 different men from 40 different backgrounds in 40 different places across the earth. And if some of them were clerks, rulers, politicians, judges, clergymen, doctors, farmers, fishermen, and so on and so forth, and we asked those 40 men to write only one chapter on a subject, when it was finished, could we call it one book? I very much doubt it. But what about 66 other works of literature of the centuries past? If you were to bind them all together, would you have perfect unity? I think not. Philosophers claim to have the truth, but all philosophers differ with each other on what that truth is. Yet the Bible points to one truth, and that truth is Jesus. And John 14, 6, the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not many ways, not many truths, but I am truth, the only truth. As he stood before Pilate, Pilate in his desperation debated that with his own self, what is truth? When he had truth personified standing right before him in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet men quote from the classical literature of the ages as fact. They quote them as reliable yet they never come close to the Bible as to be provable. Yet the Bible passes through those same centuries that all the literature of the nations of the world past centuries pass through. Yet it is one book in complete unity with one God in complete unity. And I believe that without contradiction we can have great confidence in the Bible as being divinely inerrant, inspired, and true word of God. Allow me to enlarge upon two other points that I consider of the utmost importance concerning the unity of the Bible. Number one, there is an undeniable scarlet thread that runs unbroken through the Bible, and that scarlet thread is the divine plan of redemption. 
It is fulfilled in God's provision of a Redeemer, and that same Redeemer is the theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Yet that theme never wavers nor changes. It runs through all the nations of the world, both of Jews and Gentiles. As that thread scarlet thread runs through the Bible. It goes through every civilization on every continent throughout recorded history. The, in, the entire heathen world saw that scarlet thread. But like men today, most of them failed to grasp its meaning and to understand its principle. And the result of that mistake has cast upon the world the blight of idolatry, a thing hated by God. Instead of worshiping the God of heaven that made the sun, the moon, and the stars, the universe, and all of creation, they became pantheistic in their doctrine, and they worshiped the creation above and below them. In other words, they became tree huggers. They became the kind of people who said, why, I can just go out in nature and be alone with God and I can worship God out there in nature and I can find God out there in the woods on a deer stand or I can find God out on a fishing boat. The Bible says, he, you, you shall find, seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. But they were tree huggers. They were pantheists. And if you're that nature today, you're a nature worshiper, you're a pantheist. And they, they worship the creation above and below them, the heavens above them, the earth under their feet. But Paul describes them at the same time as he describes our generation also. You see, these scriptures I'm fixing to read to you is meant for us today also. Romans chapter 1, 20 through 25. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The atheist and the fool looks at heaven and says there is no God. They're both fools. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In other words, in their, in their education and in their much learning, they made fools out of themselves. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That is our world today. And they, goes on to say, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That means that when man saw all the material things, he saw them as God. He failed to separate in his heart God from his creation. Now there are those that want to reason like the pantheist does and say that this material image that stands before me is not God but reminds me of God. But the word of God will not have this. It is still idolatry. And for that great sin of wickedness, the flood came on the human race. The scripture says, And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only you heard a voice. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. 
And the Lord commanded me at that time, this is Moses now, to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whether you go over to possess it. Take ye therefore heed unto yourselves. Now here's a warning inserted in here. God is through Moses warning the people. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest you corrupt yourself and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure. Graven images, that's what Catholics do. They have graven ears. They say this is not God, but it reminds us of God. But the Bible here plainly demands, God gives a warning that you are not to make unto you any graven image, the similitude of any figure, any image, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth upon the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth, lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven. And when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. Deuteronomy 4, 12 through 19. This is what men did. Instead of worshiping God, they made idols and they worshiped the creation more than the creator. But in the meantime, while the heathen world was worshiping the creation of God, the patriarchs of old before the flood through the line of Seth down to Noah kept the knowledge of God and how to properly worship him alive in the earth. And after the flood through Eber, the son of Shem, Genesis 11 and 14, until God called Abraham and made a covenant with him. Now this is supposed to be what the Christian is to do. He's to keep the divine inspired in Aaron word of God and the idea of God alive. We are God's uh, eyes, hand, feet, mouth, whatever you want to call it. It is our responsibility to preach this word, to live this word, to keep this word alive before lost humanity. Secondly, there is something intriguing about many of the personalities of the Bible. But one personality stands about above all the others. This cannot be said about any other personality that has ever lived on the earth. No matter how outstanding one may be, there is always someone to come along more outstanding and break their record. If there's one handsome, there will always be one a little more handsome. If there's one beautiful, there will always be one a little more beautiful that will come out. Another one more outstanding. Now that one special personality is not just prominent, but that personality is the most preeminent. The word prominent means one that stands out above all the others. The word preeminent means outstanding, paramount, superior above others, above all others, surpassing all others, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in his life, we can see the perfect unity of the Bible in the perfect unity of the life of Christ. I believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God because the Bible says that he is and because of the perfect unity of the Bible. In the next lesson, we'll look at part three on why I believe the Bible to be divinely inspired word of God. Now, if you would like to receive a printed copy of this message or have any questions, contact us at rdwtruth 
at yahoo.com. You may also hear this in our other messages on our podcasts at Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Breaker, uh, Google, others, all of them. And we've even added a new one today that we hope worked and hope went out, and that's called winkum.com. I want to ask you to please help us spread the Word of God on this program by sharing it with others. Also, I want to remind you that we're living in the last days just before the coming of the Lord for His church. Thank you for listening. Some people steal They cheat and lie For wealth and want It will buy But don't make no Thank you.